Yes, Church on the Move. That is the theme of our brand new series we're going to start today, January the 27th. In a few years from now, when you ask me, when did we begin that series? I can say it was January the 27th in 2019 is when we, when we preached this. Pastor Ochester was telling me earlier, he preached through the book of Acts as well as, as the pastor. So we're going to give it a, we're going to give it another go. And I'm so excited to be able to, no, literally, genuinely, enthusiastically excited about preaching through the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 28, and we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to look at the expansion of the early church. I mean, it begins in Jerusalem, and it spreads, uh, I mean, like a conflagration, like a like a sweeping fire that just covers the earth. It goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Then the next thing you know, it's all over Rome and throughout, uh, throughout the world. So what a, what a blessing it is to be able to, uh, to study God's Word with you. My name is Danny Forsheed, pastor here at Great Hills. So one of the pastors, I'm the teaching pastor here. We have some wonderful men and women of God who serve you so faithfully, and I'm so honored to be in the ministry uh, with them. Some of our uh, dearest friends are in this church and in this ministry with us. So, all right, so here we go. Uh, by the way, when you see an outline in your worship guide that looks like this, you know there's going to be a lot of information that's going to be shared, a lot of points and, and subpoints. And uh, so I'm just inviting you to take this out, and you may want to collect these, put them in your Bible. Who knows, one day you may uh, be teaching a Bible study or teaching the book of Acts. But man, what an exciting time it is to be alive to be a part of the church of God. Jesus said, upon this rock, Peter, this rock of confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, I will build what? Anybody remember? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, the faithfulness of God. That's what I'm thinking about this morning. The, the, the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. So let's try it. Lindy, let's, let's, let's try to sing it. Church, y'all want to sing that with me this morning? Y'all want to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness? Do you remember the words? I don't know that I do either. This is all impromptu. And uh, so let's just, uh, how, do, how does it start? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Let's sing it. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not as thou hast been. As thou hast been, thou forever. Let's all stand. Let's all stand sing, Great is thy faithfulness. Ready? Great is thy faithfulness. Sing it to the Lord. Great is thy faithfulness morning come on morning by morning new mercies i see all i have needed all i have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness Lord, unto me. Let's just, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lindy, why don't you just keep playing, and I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray that, 
the Spirit of God would do an unprecedented work in your life and in my life and in the life of our church. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you would say, oh, Pastor, I desire that. I long for that. I've just got so much in my life right now, so many things I'm, I'm dealing with or I'm struggling with or I'm concerned about, and I, I want to be able to lay that at the feet of Jesus Christ. And I want to worship Him today with my mind and with my heart, with my soul, my, my very essence. And so let's do that. Let's just lift it to the Lord right now. Father, we give you our burdens. God, you tell us, cast all your burdens upon the Lord because He cares for us and we will not be moved or shaken as the people of God. God, we thank you that your faithfulness is great, that Lord, you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And that, Lord, you tell us whatever bothers us or burdens us, that we could lay that at the foot of Christ. And, and Lord, you would take that from us. So we're, we're asking you to take our burden, Lord, take our, our sin, our weight, take our shame, take our worry, take, our, take whatever it is, God, that may be impeding us from worshiping you fully today. Great, Lord, is your faithfulness. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen your seed begging for bread casting all your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. Now may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in Him, that we may overflow and overabound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray to the Lord right now, right, just right where you are. Just quietly, silently pray to the Lord. Cast your burden on Him right now. Say, God, speak to me, God. Do a great work in my life today. Thank you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, Acts chapter 1. Let's open up to verse 1 as we study this wonderful text today. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do an introduction to the book of Acts. And what we'll look at is authorship. We will look at date. We will look at the initial recipient, the original audience. You're looking at me like, you're kidding me. We're not going to do that in church. Are we? I mean, really, this sounds like a, this sounds like a class in, in seminary. This sounds like something you, you would learn in graduate school. Man, I, I, just want to, I just want to read the Bible and hear a couple of stories, and I want to just get out of here in about 15 minutes. You're in the wrong church. <laughs> you, whoa, mercy, somebody. You're like, help me. Oh, help me. Oh, man, sing a couple songs. Let's get on with the program. You know. Hey, listen, cowboys are done. Amen. <laughs> And there you know, no football. So, man, we could just go to 2, 2.30. How about that? We'll just have a good time. Now, we, we really do have a lot of ground to cover. But uh, as I said earlier, we were looking at the expansion. I mean, just the burgeoning of this New Testament group. I mean, this group that started in Acts 1.14. By the way, the church started in a prayer movement. Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem, and I will send him the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, he'll change everything. He'll endue you with great power and authority, and you will be my, my witnesses. But it's imperative that you wait. You know, a lot of things, times in life, God says, wait, be patient, be faithful in the journey, be obedient, and then watch what God will do is he will pour out his favor. He will pour out his blessings upon his people as we wait faithfully in, in prayer. 
As early as the second century, this book in the New Testament has been referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm, and I'm absolutely great with that because it does delineate for us the Acts. Really, chapters 1 through 12, there's a lot of Peter, the Apostle Peter. Then 12 through 28, there's a lot of Paul. But, but also, I think we could make an argument that this book could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, I mean, this pneumatology, this doctrine of the Spirit, Jesus, he's predicting him to come. And in Acts 1.8, he comes. And in Acts, in Acts 1.8, he says, here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you with power. And then Acts chapter 2, boom, you have the advent, the coming of the Holy Spirit, just like you had the advent, the coming of the eternal Son of God. Now you have the advent of the coming of the eternal third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit. And so we'll see a lot about Him, the Holy Spirit, as we, as we study. We're going to look at the introduction. We're going to go to chapter 1. We'll look at verses 1 and 2, and that's about as far as we can get. And then we'll finish up verse 3 next week. But I do want to prepare you as we begin this journey Having done this journey once before, I, I want to prepare you that there's a lot of data, there's a lot of information. We'll study the, the genesis of the early church, we'll study the, the progression of the church, and we'll study the church triumphant. But I just want to tell you something. You, you need to prepare yourself for two things. You need to prepare yourself to be blessed. And some of you are going, yeah, I can do that, brother. That won't take me but a moment. I'm prepared. Come on, bless me. And then you say, what's the second thing? You need to prepare yourself to be challenged. And by the way, that's always the way it is with God's Word. There's blessing and favor and joy and prosperity and, I mean, just the overflow of the blessings of God. And then there's that conviction and there's that, that challenge. And then there's that God saying, come on, I, I love you the way you are, but I don't want you to stay the way you are. I want you to move forward in your relationship with me. So we're, we're moving as a church. I mean, we are moving forward into the territory of God, all that God would have Great Hills Baptist Church. This church, the book of Acts, church on the move. Great Hills Baptist Church, church on the move, moving into the territory, moving into the domains that God would have us to take for the cause of Christ right here in Austin, Texas. May God help us, lend us His gracious, omnipotent hand as we study his word. So, number one is introduction. If you've got your notes here and you want to write in the word introduction, you've got your iPad or on your phone there. And A is authorship. So, let's talk about the author. Both internal and external evidence points to a man by the name of Luke. He is a doctor and he is a first-rate historian. I have found in my own life, my own doctor, Dr. John Murray, that sometimes those two just go together. Gifted minds who are gifted with anatomy and the body, they also have a gift for history. And Luke does this. Oftentimes, he refers to themself, himself as we, the first person plural. And he will say things like in, Luke, in Acts 16, chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 27, chapter 28, he'll say, and we. And we are moving forward. And who he's talking about is Paul himself and their missionary colleagues. And so Luke is, a, is an eyewitness to the events that he writes about. Now, in order for the Bible to be the Bible, the canon of the New Testament, they had some criteria. And one of them was you either had to be an apostle or you had to be a close associate of an apostle. And man, does Luke not fit that second category that he was a very close companion of the apostle Paul. 
you know, I, I did a little math this week, and that's dangerous. I don't do a lot of math, but there, there is belief that Luke not only wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, we know that, but there is evidence and some believe, some first-rate scholars, theologians believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews. And if Luke wrote all three of those books, that means he wrote 65 chapters of the New Testament. John, he wrote 50, and Paul wrote 57. And if this is true, then Luke is the most prolific author in the New Testament. Well, even if he didn't write Hebrews, those 13 chapters, I mean, he's right up there that God has entrusted this brilliant mind. And by the way, when you study Luke and you study Acts, he uses terminology that only doctors used. And so that gives evidence to the fact that this same Luke, who is a physician, Paul would say, my beloved physician, is also the author of this amazing book that we call the book of Acts, the date. The date, that's number B or letter B, if you want to jot that in there, is A.D. 63 or A.D. 70. And I'm going to make an argument for the former, A.D. 63, and it's preferable for two reasons. Had Paul died, Luke would have talked about it, no doubt. He seems to end in Acts chapter 28 with Paul awaiting trial in Rome or under house arrest. He just stops the book. It seems to me that he writes him to a point of history where history, I mean, this is as far as he gets, and he, and he stops. And, and another reason why I don't think it's A.D. 70 is because surely Luke would have written about the fall of Jerusalem. I mean, he is a first-rate historian. He would not omitted or neglected that. So I believe he wrote the Gospel of Luke somewhere around A.D. 59 and 61, and then pretty close after that, a couple years after that, he writes the book, of the, of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, around A.D. 63, the recipient. See, who is the recipient of this book? And there are two. First of all, there's a man by the name of, and I just love saying his name. Here he comes, Theophilus. Woo-hoo! Theo God, phileo love. How, how about that for a name, the lover of God? Who was Theophilus? You'll see him in Luke number, chapter 1. You'll see him in Acts chapter 1. In fact, the, the historian, the Dr. Luke says, I am writing to you, O Theophilus. Here's who I think he was. I think he was a high-ranking Roman official. And I think he is someone that Luke was either witnessing to and given an apologetic for the gospel, or he was Theophilus, this high-ranking Roman official, whom somebody that not only was Luke witnessing to, but it's somebody that Luke had led to Christ, and he's, he's dedicating these works to him to say, I'm discipling you, Theophilus, and in the process of discipling you and recounting for you these amazing works of Jesus Christ and the amazing works of the Holy Spirit, I want you to grow and mature in your faith. So Theophilus, here he is. Who in the, he probably would have never thought in a, in a million years that his name would be known throughout all time and eternity because Luke dedicated his books to him. Now, the wider audience is obviously us. It's all the church. As Luke dedicates the name Theophilus, but you can tell throughout the book that, that Luke knows the Holy Spirit of God is on him, and he knows there's a grander more glorious purpose in him writing these documents, in these historical accounts of Christianity. 
point of application for us. All of us as Christians, we should have a Theophilus in our lives. We should have a person that they don't have to be a high-ranking official down here at the capital of Austin or in the U.S., but they could be anybody that we are personally sharing life, sharing the gospel with, and when they accept Christ, we disciple them and help them come to maturity in Christ. Now we're talking about the Great Commission. I love what somebody told me one time. I'll never forget. They said, every Christian needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy or Theophilus. Let me, let me explain that. Everybody, every Christian needs a Paul. We need mentors. We need biblical teachers. We need those that know the Word of God and study the Word of God that can pour into us in our discipleship one-on-one level, in a connect group level, a small group level, and public worship level. All of us need that Pauline person in our life. Number two, we all need a Barnabas. Hey, listen, whenever you read about Barnabas in the Bible, He's always complaining and arguing and fussing and fighting and spitting nails mad. You said, oh, wait a minute, that's not Barnabas. And that's right, I'm just joking with you. That's exactly the opposite of Barnabas. In the Bible, he's always encouraging. He's always building up. He's always praying. And, and like these five Barnabases I have around me on Sunday morning, about 1030, as they pray over me. Before we come out and preach the Word of God, God bless him. Protect him from distraction. Protect him, Lord, and fill up his notes. Mark Krieger, thank you. Fill up his notes, Holy Spirit, with what you want him to say. And so Barnabas are those that come alongside of us and say, I just think you're better than sliced bread. Hallelujah, I love you. You need a Barnabas. And everybody needs a Timothy. A Timothy is the person that Paul discipled. Theophilus is a person that Luke discipled. So all of us, to have that holistic, growing, vibrant Christianity, we need those three people in, in our lives. Purpose. What about the purpose? What's the purpose of the book of Acts? And I'm at D, purpose, okay? Well, it's twofold. It's historical and it's theological. Luke gives the reader a very clear development of the early church in its formative years, and that's a very important statement. He will give the, the reader a clear development of the early church in its formative years from Jerusalem 30 years later to Rome. And it's, it's amazing. You, you read it and you're like, oh my word, this is it's full of miracles. It's full of just historical data. It's just like, man, God is just birthing this, this movement, this organic, systemic movement of God that will overwhelm Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and it will just spread to Rome and Asia Minor, and it will just, it will just overtake the entire earth. And by the way, that's how you and I got here. Praise God that this church started and these Christians were vibrant in their faith. And Luke says, watch this. Boom, watch it grow. Watch it spread. Watch it, watch it just, just blossom and burgeon all over the known world. But there's a theological purpose to it as well. Luke reveals God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, and that's what he's going to do. He will reveal the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Theological purpose. The importance. E, the importance, and I read one really good scholar who put it this way, and I can't improve on it, so let me just read it as I quote it. Acts is a crucial book in the canon of Scripture in that it serves as the bridge between the gospel and the epistles. So, so let, me, let me just explicate that for just a minute. When you're reading your Bible, you come to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, 
And if you were to take out the book of Acts, you would spring right into the book of Romans and go, whoa, 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 Nellie, what happened here? I mean, Jesus died, he arose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and my, what is, who is Paul? What is that guy doing in church at Rome? There's a church in Rome? What are you, are you serious? If we didn't have the book of Acts, we would be confused. We would go, well, how in the world did that happen? And, and, and Luke says, well, hold on just a second. I'll tell you how it happened. And praise God he did. And we have this, these 28 chapters of historical data and information and, and just powerful expose of, of the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the known world. And by the way, I don't know about you, but I love to read good news. We got enough bad news. And when we, we get into the Bible, and listen, it's all about God and God winning. And so for a few minutes on Sunday morning, if we can come here and just immerse ourselves and saturate our minds in the Bible and the Word of God, and here's what happens. We begin to think, well, wait a minute. God, you haven't changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, if you did that then, then who's to say, God, you can't do that today? And so what we do, we start reading it, and our faith starts growing, and we start getting bold in our evangelism and in our missions and in our church. And I believe heaven smiles upon us as we do that. I'm telling you, prepare. Prepare your heart to be blessed and to be challenged. Oh, let me finish that quote. Sorry, apologize. I didn't finish the quote. Acts is a crucial book in the canon of Scripture in that it serves as the bridge between the gospel and the epistles. It narrates ooh, the continuing work of the resurrected Jesus through his church. Furthermore, this writer says, it provides present-day churches with the pattern of church growth in evangelism, in missions, and discipleship. The continuing work of the resurrected Jesus, the death, resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's the gospel of Luke. And he, he expounds upon that, the life, death, burial, and resurrection. And these are foundational truths. <laughs> because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know, I know who holds the future. Praise God. I, I, I rejoice. I live because Jesus lives. And that's the gospel's. That Jesus, per he purchased our eternal salvation on a wooden cross outside the gates of Jerusalem. The Son of God bled and he died. And they put him in a tomb. That's where you put dead people, friend. But up from the grave, whoa, Jesus Christ came out of the grave. He is alive. And that's what the gospel is all about. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus Christ got a hold of me when I was 19 years of age and the Spirit of God came into me, He changed me. He blessed me and He put this burning passion in me to know Him and to make Him known. And I don't know about you, but I know I never, ever want to get over that. I never want to get over that. I never want to get over and what Jesus did for me. When you stomp your foot really hard, you can hurt your leg, so I'm just stretching. Whew, feels good. Rather calm down a fanatic than raise up a corpse, amen? So we'll do that. What's the key verse in the book of Acts? Well, you might have guessed it. It's Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8. But you, church, you're going to receive power, the same 
Holy Spirit power. It's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my complainers. <laughs> and God didn't, God didn't save us to complain and moan and groan when our preferences aren't met. No, listen. He said, I'm, I'm filling you with the Spirit of God. And what you're going to do, you're going to be so excited, and you're going to be so in love with Jesus that you're going to be my martyrs. That's the Greek word. You're going to be, some of you are going to be willing to die for me. It'll happen in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the geographical and theological outline for the whole book. And you can read it, and we'll read it together as we study it. So let's do this. Let's look at the prologue in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Yes, here we go. Here we go. Let's read it. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day. Oh, my word. Church, I just want you to know that preposition. We get to that in a moment. Just, just brace yourself. Until the day. Man, there is coming a day, a day when this life is over. got a birth date and a death date. The dash is what we do in between. And only those things that are done for God and for others will last. And Jesus, he, he had a day. He had that day when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And before he ascended to the Father, he appears 40 days preaching, teaching the kingdom of God. And then that day came when he ascended back to the Father. That day is coming for all of us, in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom, the apostles, he also presented himself very much alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs being seen by them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the first point today, and I'm just so honored to give you this point, it's this, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is amazing. Luke says, the former account I give unto you, if you're taking notes, just write in there, Gospel of Luke. You can check it because it's the same guy, Theophilus, who we talked about earlier, Luke says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, now watch this, began. He began. He's not done. He's not done because he hadn't come back. He, he began, and we're going to look at it in just a moment. I'm talking about we're going to look at what he did, and we're going to look at what he taught. And that's about all the time we're going to have today. But he, he, Luke, underscore, he uses this word that Jesus began. So he, in a sense... Jesus isn't finished yet. Now, I know to Telestai, it is finished the work of salvation on the cross, right? But his, he, he hadn't come back yet, and, and you're, you're not dead yet. So we, we, we are beginning, and we are continuing, and there's work to be done until, until Jesus says, well done, it's over. 
The day has come. He, he comes back or we die and we go into his presence. But until then, mm, there's work to be done for the glory of God, for the expansion of his church and for the discipleship of his saints. And so he began, Jesus began it. We are content. I like what John MacArthur says here. The rest of the New Testament describes the continuation of his work by the early church. We are still finishing it until he comes, end of quote. A is Jesus' actions. In verse 1 it says, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do. So, so just put the word in there, to do, to do, two words. What did Jesus do? And he says, well, Theophilus, remember, we talked about this. <laughs> but, you know, it's good to be reminded. When you think of Jesus Christ, help, help me, what, what did Jesus do in the Bible that's so anything? Philip, what did Jesus do in the Bible? Anything that you can think of that he did in the Bible, what did he do? Raised Lazarus from the dead. What did you say, brother? He fed many? Healed many, fed many. I'm a Baptist. I get the feeding part right. All right, amen. <laughs> Mike, what do you think? What did Jesus do that just stands out in your mind? Water to wine? What, what do you think, Mike? He gave us the direction for our life because he said, you're my witnesses now and go and make, make disciples. When I think of Jesus, I think of blind Bartimaeus. I think of Nicodemus. I think of the Samaritan woman. I think of the crippled man, crippled this way 37 years, and, and Jesus comes and, and heals him. I do think about Lazarus raising from the dead. My word, feeding the 5,000 men. There's probably 20,000 people. I think about Jesus. Ooh, come now. So many people want to hear him preach. He says, Peter, let me borrow your boat there, brother, for a minute. He gets in the boat, and Jesus is teaching all the people. He says, Peter, why don't you go out there and cast your net? Well, we're not casting net on Jesus. We ain't casting no fish today. Go cast your net out on the other side. Well, Shazam! Man, there's fish everywhere. Woo! Come on now, where did that come from? Jesus said, I told you so, trust in me. Come on, come on, Peter, watch this. From now on, I'll make you fisher of men. And Luke says, all of that's in there. All that Jesus began both to do, and these are the things that he did, and to teach. Oh, oh look at this, look at this. Here's, I think, the greatest verse in the Bible on what Jesus did and what he taught. It's Luke 4. 18 and 19. Yes, it's in your notes. Yeah. You said, well, we're halfway through the notes. Are we halfway through the sermon? Maybe. Let's look. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Luke 4, 18. I love this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. He has anointed me to do the following things. And I love this. Karuks. Jesus said, first of all, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm a uangalion. I'm a preaching the gospel to the poor. Keep going. He sent me to heal. Thank you, many of you picked up on that. Healing sick, healing Lazarus, healing blind Bartimaeus, healing the man, the congenital blindness, healing the man who is lame. Oh, heal the brokenhearted. Praise God. Jesus said, that's one of the reasons I came, is to heal your heart that has been sun trebo, which means to be crushed and pulverized. I've also come to preach liberty to the captives, those that are in bondage to sin, and I've come 
to open their blinded eyes. I've come to set those who are oppressed, I've come to set them at liberty. And there's the karuks, the Greek word. I've come to preach and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. All these things that Jesus did. Now in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke says, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to, oh, come now, to what? Teach. He said, Brother Danny, you're making me really nervous. You're looking at every word. Are you going to start, are you going to exegete the commas in a minute? I mean, what, what's happening here? I mean, you, you, you are preaching as if you believe every single word is important. And it is. It is important. If it wasn't important, then God wouldn't have preserved it. But God has preserved his word so that we can read it. Ooh, as a church, man, we're reading the Bible together and we're, we're studying and we're applying by the power of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus teach? Well, he taught sermons and parables and messages and life-changing words forever preserved in the gospel. In Matthew 23, 3, it says that Jesus was a lot different than the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus says, whatever they tell you, yeah, you can observe it and do it, but do, don't do according to their works. Because now watch this, church. Jesus said the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious aristocracy in Jerusalem in the first century, they say a lot, but they do not do. Can I just go on record and say this about Jesus? He said a lot, and he did what he said he would do. And he was consistent. And that's why the people are like, dude, we like you. We, we want to follow you because you speak these words, but you also substantiate them. You, you live them out. You have integrity. You have consistency. You have honesty. You have believability. You have transparency. And we believe in you because you're giving us the words of life and you, you back it up with the life that you, and the people are just flocking to Jesus. Why? Because what he did and what he said, he preached. Ooh, listen to this quote. Well, I think I found this in a PhD seminar years ago when I was studying. They gave me the lesson, Danny Forshee, you go through the Middle Ages and studied great preaching in the Middle Ages. And I was like, good luck with that. There ain't nothing Middle Ages. A.D. 430 to 13, 1400, my history professor said, that's a thousand years without a bath. That's not good. And I said, there's no, there, where, where? And then I came across this, this guy named Basil. Basil, it said, in the Middle Ages, <laughs> his speech was like thunder because his life was like lightning. That's worth studying the Middle Ages. It reminds me a lot of Jesus. He spoke these thunderous, awesome sermons. But anybody can speak eloquently. I mean, anybody can, can sway the crowds with rhetoric and smooth speaking. But when the power, the power, the anointing, God give me the anointing, it comes because when you speak, you live it.
You substantiate it. You validate it. And Jesus Christ, more than any person who ever lived, says, do as I say and do as I, what? As I do. That's his teachings. Second point, we got to get to this real quick, is Jesus is alive. This is number two. Jesus is alive. Let's go to verse two. Until the day. Mm -mm. Until the day, Theophilus, in which Jesus was taken up. Can y'all just write in A, write the word ascension. Okay, write the word ascension. He was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments to us or to those apostles whom he had chosen. So let's just look at verse 2 for just a minute. The ascension, one of the cardinal key doctrines of Christianity, of Christology, is the bodily ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, Acts 1-9, we'll preach on that specifically in a few weeks, but I want you to just catch this, that, that, that Luke closes his whole gospel. And you can check it. It's 24, 50, and 51, and it's all about the ascension. He picks the theme back up in, in Acts chapter 1, because remember, he's got this continuity thing going on. He's helping Theophilus. Hey, remember Theophilus when we talked about Jesus died, was buried? He arose from the dead, and he ascended to the Father. But watch this. Before he did, before he ascended to the Father, watch this, church, this is so important. Jesus is like, okay, guys, I'm leaving. And they're probably going, no, 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 don't, don't, don't leave. Jesus says, no, it's better that I leave you. Because when I leave you, he's going to come. And they're probably going, say what? Who? The Holy Spirit's going to come, but it's imperative that I leave. And when I leave, you go pray, go wait, and then he's going to come, and you're going to know it when he comes. But before I leave you, let, let me give you one last parting word. Mark 16, 15. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Luke 24, 47 and 48. John 20, 21. Acts 1, 8. The last thing I'm going to tell you is this. Go into all the world and tell them the good news. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Tell them what I did for you. And then they will tell others what I did for them. And that way, who knows? Who knows what will happen? But that the gospel will spread throughout not only this nation of Israel, but the nations of the world until the day. I, I got a whole sermon on that, so I'm just going to skip it. Or we would be here a long time until the day. God, please help me not ever get over those three little prepositional words in that phrase until the day. Jesus said, I got to work for him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when nobody... Can, does, that, does that get a hold of anybody in here but me? I mean, is anybody get, getting this, feeling this, that you're going to die? Say, oh, thank you for sharing that with me, brother. That is so profound. I'm, I never really thought about that. No, Many of us don't think about that because that's too much of a moribund, morbid thought. But it's amazing. The mortality rate is absolutely unequivocal. If you're born, <laughs> you're going to die, Jack. You, you're going to die. And then you're going to meet God. 
you're going to meet him. And he's going to say, to you, his follower, welcome home. Come now. Welcome home. All that you did for me, all that you said for me, all the people you told about me, come on in and enjoy the blessings of heaven. Man. When that day comes, I mean, I don't want to flame out. I don't want to rust out. I, I, I really want to max out. I want to go into the presence of God very, very tired. And I want to go in and I want to hear him say, well done. Until that day. Are you ready for that day? You know, some of you are you're, you're like, no, I'm not. I, I've got all these gifts. I got all these talents. I got all this ability. And, and God has saved me. God has redeemed me. And I can do so much more for the church. And I can do so much more for my neighbors. And yet, I just sit on my blessed assurance, Pastor Danny. That's what I do. And I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm not ready for the day. Would you get ready? Man, if you're going to give, give. If you're going to start tithing, praise God, start tithing. If you're going to witness to your neighbor, praise the Lord, go witness to him. If you're going to get involved in church and do something, praise God, do it. Because the day, that day is coming. And time will be no more on this earth. And Jesus worked. He served until that day. The last thing is be the apostles. Jesus is alive. Ascension is A. B is the apostles. Yeah. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. But look at verse 2 when he says, After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now this would be the 12 minus Judas. Because Judas started, but he didn't finish. We don't talk a lot about him, do we? Because he started, but he didn't finish well. The well done, good, and faithful servant is preserved and it's reserved for those who finish Finish, finish well, the apostles. He gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the, the commandment, oh, I'm so glad I brought this. Hold on just a second. Apostles were given the commandment to go and make disciples. And this is, this is what God has really burdened your staff with. Over the last few weeks and, and really months, we have been talking a lot about what does it mean to make a disciple. And so we're, I am meeting one-on-one -on -one with every one of our staff and discipling them. 
You say, well, how many staff do you have? You got about two or three? No, there's a bunch. So when are you going to find time to, to, to do that? Well, you know, you make time for what's important. So we're meeting, and one-on-one, listen to this. And we are studying the commandments of Jesus. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them. And by the way, all your staff are disciples and they're baptized. Aren't you glad to know that? They're saved and they love Jesus. They're going to heaven. But we are studying the commandments of Jesus. And we're studying ways that we can obey his commandments. Okay? Then after about 12 weeks, we'll just see where this thing goes. I'm predicting in the years ahead at Great Hills, there's going to be this massive amount of teaching, discipleship, one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, and it's utterly, utterly going to change our church. And I'm, I'm so excited about it. And we literally just started this this past, this past week. Okay. Woo-hoo. We're just, we just did two verses, y'all. Next week, we'll do verse 3, and then the next week, we'll keep going. Let me ask you to pray with me and bow your heads and close your eyes. We're, we're, we're moving into a time of invitation, but I, I've, I've really got to stress this one more time. That day is coming for us, guys. It's coming. And listen, if you're 70 and 80 and 90, that day's probably going to come for you faster than it's going to come for the others. So, man, if I were you, and I am you, I'm part of you, I, I, I really want to give my all. I, I want to give my all for the king who was so graciously redeemed me and saved me. Listen, if you got gifts, you got talents, you got abilities, come on, let's use them for the glory of God. If you're here today and you would say, well, I'm not even in the game, brother. I'm, I, don't, I haven't even accepted the resurrection of Jesus. Because when you accept that fact of he rose from the dead for you and he died for you, it changes everything. It changes your, your today. It changes your eternal destiny. So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to believe. Believe on his name. I mean, if you have never, then right now say, Jesus Christ, I believe you are who you say you are. And I repent of my sins and by faith, I trust in you to be my Savior and to be my King. I am inviting you to do that today. Become a Theophilus. (laughs) Become a new convert. Become a lover of God. And that's it. It's really that simple. Believe, repent, and then let's grow. Hey, come on. Be baptized. Let Let me teach you publicly and let our staff and our deacons and our and our leadership let them disciple you so that you grow to maturity so that you so that you are telling other people about Jesus Christ and you are making disciples some of you are going my word that's the furthest thing from my mind that I could literally make a disciple but you can you are ready <laughs> you are ready so let's, let's do it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray, I fast, I preach, I study. I, I don't know what else to do, but Spirit of God, you do. You do, Lord, what only you can do. God, you light the match, the spark in the heart of those that are here today, oh God. You, God, I'm begging you, I am asking you to do 
what only you can do to save people's lives, God, to save their marriages, to, to rip out the addiction and the pornography, God, and the unfaithfulness, God, to do a work of supernatural. Jesus, I am on my knees and I'm begging you to work in this church, oh God. I give them the gospel and not only the gospel, God, I am giving them my very life. And Jesus, I would lay it down gladly for them if they would only believe in you and serve you and follow you with passion. Be gone days of lesser things, oh God. Be gone days of sin and bondage and, and captivity to the things of this world. Oh, Jesus, you did not die and rise from the dead to fill heaven with a bunch of wimpy Christians. Oh, God, rip out the wimpiness in us. And I'm praying, Jesus, with all that is within me, Holy Spirit of God, come work, move upon this church. God, break, break us, God, mold us, shape us to be the people of God you want us to be. And this is my prayer, and I believe it, and I'm praying it. In Jesus' name, amen.